I am not afraid of the word tension. There is a type of constructive, nonviolent tension that is necessary for growth. The kind of tension in society that will help men rise from the dark depths of prejudice and racism to the majestic heights of understanding and brotherhood. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Oppressed people cannot remain oppressed forever. The urge for freedom will eventually come as we begin moving with a sense of cosmic urgency towards the promised land of racial justice. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. I gradually gained a bit of satisfaction from being considered an extremist. Was not Jesus an extremist of love? Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, pray for them that despitefully use you. Was not Amos an extremist for justice? Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. So the question is not whether we will be extremists, but what kind of extremists will we be? Will we be extremists for hate? Or will we be extremists for love? Will we be extremists for the preservation of injustice? Or will we be extremists for the cause of justice? Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. Today, we are concluding our series on the violence of waiting, where we have done some important internal work as a community to look at the harm and violence that comes when we wait to take action in the face of injustice. By walking through the prophetic texts of Amos and Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., we have looked at how the silence of the good has continued to keep evil and abusive systems alive. Silence that can make us complicit in oppression. For this series, we have talked about the different stages of naming, liberation, and repentance. Today, we will be talking about reconciliation. Now, this is not going to be about reconciliation that happens between personal and individual relationships, though a lot of this could probably relate to some of those situations. What we are talking about today is reconciliation in the face of injustice and from oppressive systems and groups. I must also be honest and say that a lot of this today comes from some frustration and disappointment that I have with the church, my nation, and the silent good people feel like being good on the inside is enough. I know that there are ways I probably fall into that category as well, and it is just as much an exhortation for me. But ultimately, this might not be a super warm and fuzzy message on reconciliation. As a Christian, sometimes there's always this pressure to always end a message with a nice and hopeful cherry on top. Instead, I hope to practice what is truth-telling and honesty to me, and to move us away from being people that wait in the face of injustice, and make a way for authentic reconciliation to one day be possible. As a Christian, part of our call is hoping and working towards reconciliation. In 2 Corinthians, we see this clear charge. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ 
and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Here we see that reconciliation requires the old system to be gone and requires something new altogether. Reconciliation does not happen if the new has not yet come. This means a large part of our ministry is to destroy the old ways of oppression and to build new systems where justice and freedom flows to each person. At the end of Amos, after God's promise to destroy the unjust and wicked systems in Israel, there is a promise of restoration and rebuilding so that future generations can flourish. At the end of a letter from a Birmingham jail, Dr. King also prays for a similar promise of reconciliation when he says, let us all hope that the dark clouds of racial prejudice will soon pass away and the deep fog of misunderstanding will be lifted from our fear-drenched communities. And in some not too distant tomorrow, the radiant stars of love and brotherhood will shine over our great nation with all their scintillating beauty. Reconciliation is an important horizon to journey towards. However, while preparing for this message today, I realized that when it comes to reconciliation, we are not always headed in the same direction. One person's idea of reconciliation is vastly different from another. Even more so, a person who has experienced injustice will often describe reconciliation in a completely different way than their oppressor or a person of privilege. I'm going to say that again because that's something that affected me a lot for this message. A person who has experienced injustice will often describe reconciliation in a completely different way than their oppressor or a person of privilege. So how do we become ministers of reconciliation if we do not have a common understanding? Sadly, in this area, privilege can still dominate others. Those who control the dominant narrative in society, which for us is often those who benefit from a white, male, or rich privilege, usually define reconciliation in their own terms, in ways that do not cost them power or comfort. I'm sure you have seen this played out at some point. One way I often see this is when a privileged person points to a person of color and says, see? I have black and brown friends. I can't be racist. Our friendship shows that racism isn't a problem anymore. We also see this in tokenism, where organizations will use a token person of color as an example of them being diverse and non-racist. However, these token positions often are just for image, and that person is often not allowed to use their voice for change. Another example of this that came to mind as I prepared this message happened a couple of years ago. An effort to show how Trump was not racist despite clear accusations, a congressman brought Lynn Patton, a black woman who worked in the administration, to a hearing and had her silently stand behind him. She was never given a chance to say a word. The white congressman argued that because Trump had hired this woman, there is no way that he is racist or part of any systems that harm people of color. This is an example of performative and empty symbols of reconciliation. Actions like these create more harm to communities of color 
who are still not being believed when they say that they are living in unjust and racist societies. Those who are oppressed often become props to those in power who want to act like they are for reconciliation when it is just performative. Reconciliation is not about having friends of different races. Reconciliation is not just wearing a shirt with a slogan, posting on social media, or showing up to vigils of black and brown bodies. Many things that people point to today for reconciliation are just symbolic performances without any real social or political commitment to dismantling the systems that continue to oppress others. The church is also historically not great at working for reconciliation. For those who have experienced racial injustice, stop. The church is also historically not great at working for reconciliation for those who have experienced injustice, even though we were gifted this ministry by God and it is a core part of our calling. The church often sees racism and injustice as only a spiritual and personal problem. For the moderate Christian, reconciliation only means prayer and internal repentance for sin. It means preaching unity for the church without fighting for any of the systems of inequality to change. However, for the oppressed, reconciliation starts with social action. I have heard churches say before, we have a sin problem, not a skin problem. This is harmful and dismissive of those who experience racism and inequality. Though the people who believe in slogans like these may think they are remedying the true problem, there is a difference between saying sorry to God in your heart and saying sorry to others with your hands by acting for reconciliation through social action and systemic change. As we see in the prophetic calls of Amos to Israel, we are accountable to God for the ways that we treat and protect each other, for the systems we allow and participate in. God did not reconcile Israel to their homeland until long after the system was destroyed and they experienced exile. Justice rolling down like waters looked like the collapse of a greedy and unjust system, even among God's chosen, one that abandoned the poor, needy, and dehumanized, all while the privileged continue to profit. Remember that reconciliation means the old system has gone and the new has come. Part of our ministry of reconciliation is participating in the dismantling of unjust systems. This has to happen before anyone can rebuild. Dr. King voices a similar concern in his letter from a Birmingham jail. He writes, in the midst of a mighty struggle to rid our nation of racial and economic injustice, I have heard many ministers say, those are social issues with which the gospel has no real concern. Dr. King goes on to say how churches make wrongful distinctions between the sacred and secular, between the world of the soul and the body. We still continue to divide ourselves between the sacred and secular today as well. 
churches will focus on the spiritual and discourage others from fighting and vocalizing against social or political systems that are hurting others. This happens when you care so much about the soul without caring about the world around it. What happens to our souls is tied to what happens to our bodies and the ways we are treated. There is a difference between telling someone they are made in the image of God and helping create a world where they are treated like they are made in the image of God. The church and its gospel needs to be concerned with reconciliation from injustice. For what is the good news and reconciliation without real world justice? Jesus came to bring us good news, not just of an afterlife, but good news for our world now. Reconciliation can no longer be measured by the church as keeping peace by staying quiet, by an absence of tension, but tangible peace brought about by confronting injustice. Well then, how can we measure reconciliation, especially if our understandings of what it is can be so different? We have to spend time to those who are oppressed and let their stories speak. We also have to spend time together as a community and hear each other's stories as we figure out a common vision of reconciliation to work towards. What are some ways that we as a community and the church can reimagine reconciliation from injustice? First, as we saw earlier, reconciliation is about making sure the old is gone before the new can come. We need to stop demonizing the need to destroy systems that were built to be racist and oppressive. It will always be in the DNA of these systems because that is how they were designed. The Ministry of Reconciliation includes both destruction and rebuilding, and one must happen before the other. Otherwise, it becomes performative. While getting feedback for this message, Carl pointed out that reconciliation is empty without the stages we have talked about for the past few weeks. Performative reconciliation is reconciliation without naming the injustice, without liberation from the systems of oppression, without material repentance of our participation. In my research for this message, another important reflection point for me was realizing that Reconciliation is often tied to relationships between people of color and whiteness. The narrative is always about how to think positively about systems who worship whiteness and how to not be angry at it anymore. What is difficult for many about this is that it still centers whiteness. Whiteness is still seen as the norm and we must center our narratives to be reconciled with whiteness as the norm. What would reconciliation look like if it decentered whiteness? What would it look like if it focused on building relationships between communities of color? That way, the restoration can be more than trying to build a relationship with what dehumanized you, and it takes you out of a narrative that always pits you as inferior. People who have not had the dominant voice get reduced to a subcategory. And if we don't do some decentering, that won't change as we pursue reconciliation. Reconciliation may not always look like better friendships, 
Instead, reconciliation can look like the decentering of white narratives in our societies and communities. In reconciliation, the privileged are no longer centered in a way that silences others. An important part of reconciliation is creating a space for truth-telling that is not worried about offending the oppressor or privilege. It's a space that isn't tone-policed or manipulated. It doesn't rush to defend the legacies of the systems of oppression. It prioritizes the feelings of those who are suffering. Reconciliation happens when the oppressor finally reorients their role in the narrative and moves away from the center of the story. When they no longer become the definition of what is normal and good so that anything that is not like them becomes different and dangerous. When they stop seeing people of color just as receivers, but as co-creators and partners in the work of reconciliation. When they no longer see themselves as the hero of every story. They are no longer Esther, but Xerxes or Herman. Not Peter, but Judas. Not the enslaved Hebrews, but the oppressive and slaveholding Egypt. But like Nineveh, they hear and believe the words of the prophets, calling us to name, liberate, and repent. Now, there are probably many ways that we as a community can reimagine reconciliation together, since it is something that we cannot do alone. So before we discuss this together as a community, I want to close with a word from Amos 5. Seek good and not evil that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you, just as you have said. Hate evil and love good and establish justice at the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. I hate, I despise your festivals, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the offerings of well-being of your fatted animals, I will not look upon. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream.